Welcome to the Wild Truth Chase podcast. My name's Nicholas Schaefer. I'm here with not my typical co-host, but instead my brother, Ned Schaefer. Ned, how you doing? Great. It's great to have you in town. It's always nice to see your smiling face, Nick. Well, thank you, Ned. I think we really have only one goal here, which is to outdo the Shaw brothers across the pond. I mean, I don't want to say that this has already been settled, the UK versus America thing, but I think we can try to put an exclamation point on that. <laughs> okay. Well, I did really enjoy the episode that they had where they started off talking about the holiday season and, and took a turn to discuss aliens, and I think we have a not exactly the same plan, but might follow a similar overall trajectory. Yeah, I really enjoyed that episode. I think I would get along with Tages just great. We both share an outsider's perspective of the podcast, but... Now we're lurking on the fringes. Infiltrating. Yeah. Yeah, and he seems like an interesting guy, so I really enjoyed it. Excellent. As Ned alluded to, I'm home now, and so we're recording this podcast in our parents' basement, where we spent a lot of time growing up, and we did think it would be nice to reflect a little bit on the holiday season. Anything come to mind for you, Ned? Since we've both moved out of the house. Our in-person interactions have really revolved around Christmas. You've lived all over the world and have lived outside of Omaha since you left for college. Christmas was really special when we were kids. It sounded like it was just almost another day for the Shaws growing up, but that's definitely not the case for us. It's almost a month process leading up to Christmas and getting the tree, decorating it. I mean. I can't think of like a more typical storybook American childhood than like what we were raised with. It was just tremendous. So, and it's and it's just continued into adulthood and we've integrated new traditions. You usually have a bunch of friends that come, at least one or two that show up and stay at the house for Christmas. We got a house full of people. I come over from my house and basically live here when you're in town. So, it's a lot of fun. Recently, what really marks Christmas for me is the it's the time of year when I almost never miss coming home. I think maybe I missed one year when I was living overseas. But <clears throat> if I'm in the U.S., I'm almost always home for Christmas. And it's one of the few times that I get to see my family in, in person. So that's the most important thing now about Christmas. But as you said, it's changed a lot and gradually evolved as we've gotten older. When we were very little, certainly had the stereotypical anticipation of presence. And then as we got a little bit older and I moved out of Omaha, we still came back, but then there was still a lot of of our friends from school that would come around. And now we still see friends every now and again, but it's mostly about getting together with family and getting to spend a little bit of time with each other and tuning out a little bit from our typical daily grind and work. Yeah, 100%. So, Ned, do you, do you recall of any of your favorite Christmas presents that you've gotten? Like any male of our age, we grew up playing video games, and we received, I believe we received a Nintendo 64 mm-hmm. for Christmas. And I remember coming down the stairs on Christmas morning, 
and I don't remember if it was wrapped or not, or if we unwrapped it, and I'm sure it was addressed to both of us, and we tore open the box, and it's exactly what we wanted. We spent most of the day playing Mario 64, and we might have had one other game. We probably had Madden. I remember we had Madden early on, so we played football, and it was just tremendous. Like, that anticipation is almost better than getting the gift, but then also being off school for two weeks and just having no responsibilities as a kid and having your friends come over every day. You're probably sledding, doing fun stuff outside, playing lots of video games. It was just great. That That's an aspect of it that I've almost forgotten, passed out of memory, but it must have been really important at the time, which is when you're in school and then you get a, a break, like Christmas break, where you're off for a while, that's a big deal. My son was counting down the days until he had some time off. And it's not as big of a deal because, I mean, he loves school right now. But he definitely wanted time off to spend with his grandparents and his cousins who were coming to town. But I remember that last day of school being like, before Christmas break, being one of the best days of the year. Because it's just like, the possibilities are endless for what can happen in what feels like forever. Yeah. Two weeks off as a kid is like a super long time. Yeah. And I think this wasn't for Christmas break, but do you remember the tradition we had when it was the, the last day of school before summer yeah. break? What was the tradition? Yeah. Tonight, tonight is the pillow fight. Tomorrow's the last day of school. Yeah. I assume that must have been a widespread tradition, but I actually tried to Google that recently and couldn't find any evidence of that existing outside our house. So do you think that was common or? I No idea. No idea. Yeah, so that was from mom. If right? any of our listeners have ever heard of like a pillow fight before the last day of school being a tradition, you have to let us know because otherwise I think that was maybe just us somehow. We thought since this is also the end of the year, it would be nice to do some reflections on this year potentially some predictions, and uh, I proposed discussing New Year's resolutions, but we didn't actually come up with any, and then we also have some recommendations here and there that we'd like to give in terms of things that we read or listened to for anybody who might be interested. And I have to say, when the two of us try to come up with a list of topics, there's very, very little natural overlap between them. And so I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm happy to, to learn about the stuff that you're, you're reading about. So... I like the topics that you might have already addressed on certain seasons, like the techno-optimism stuff. Yeah. There's some tie-ins to what you guys have discussed on the podcast before, so I'll try to keep it relevant. I was on one of the techno-optimism episodes, and since we last spoke, the messiah of techno-optimism has completely melted down and... <laughs> that seemingly destroyed his own life, and I'm talking about Elon Musk. Do you think this hurts the techno-optimist cause? The fact that not only Musk, but a lot of the crypto stuff that has gone down, you guys have talked about chat and GPT, Sam Altman, who was one of the creators of OpenAI and founders of OpenAI. Yeah. I mean, I've got some real reservations about this guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's a weirdo, in my opinion. It feels like techno-optimism has really taken a hit in the last year. How, how do you feel about that? Well, it's interesting. I mean, so we have like one large topic involving everything from Elon Musk to Twitter to Sam Bankman-Fried and ChatGPT and Sam Altman. These are all somehow rolled together. 
And in the eyes of a lot of people, this does affect those ideas because they're for those people, it's tied to these personalities. But as I tried to mention in our previous episode on techno-optimism, there's not a strong association there for me. When I think about techno-optimism, I think mostly about the kinds of science that that doesn't make headlines and the kinds of people who don't don't make headlines but are nonetheless, I think, making very impressive progress and not in the things that usually make flashy headlines. So for me, it doesn't really affect how I feel, but I could see how the overall, how do you say, the overall brand name of techno-optimism may have been hurt this year. Yeah, the, the brand has definitely taken a hit. Do you want to talk about some of the good before we get to the bad? Give me the positive case for techno-optimism in 2022, going into 2023. Going into 2023? Well, so this is a little bit old at this point, but I think that there's relative consensus around the scientific rollout of vaccines for COVID, for example, and the the advances that have come out of that in terms of potential vaccines for other diseases. And otherwise, like I said, it's not really things that would be found in the headlines. It has more to do with sort of my own impression of reading the literature and seeing these very large databases coming together and being shared and also increasingly better and better practices around the development and sharing of data analysis and computer code and more and more open access to literature, for example. It used to be that if you wanted to do anything in scientific research, you had to be associated with a university because if you didn't have a university library access, then you couldn't read any of the relevant literature. But now it's really no longer the case. Many articles, especially new articles, are available online for free. And I think that all of these things together mean that it's just scientific progress is going to be accelerating all through the whatever other mess we have going on with the society. Yeah, well, I guess one counterpoint on the vaccine thing is that there's still a huge gap between rich and poor nations as far as access to the vaccine and making the vaccine, sharing the formula for the vaccine and making it just a public good. It still seems like it's meant for profit. And so I guess, how do you feel about that? Yeah. Like that, that seems to be still a huge problem. Can definitely see that that would be a problem. I can't be claimed to be familiar with the details. I would say like this might be an engineering problem or a social engineering problem. And it is hard to say in the end what's going to be the result of all of these scientific advances if we don't sort out the relevant social issues alongside it. But for whatever it's worth, I'm mostly thinking about like highly technical aspects of the of the scientific process and not maybe not thinking enough about the practical aspects and the implications for society yeah the political application of this exactly yeah and i guess coincidentally that's what i'm most interested in because i know nothing technically is there anything that you saw this year in all of these characters that makes you really not hopeful for 2023 and beyond I think that we're just going to get more of the same and things will continue to 
devolve along the same lines. It we keep getting more and more consolidation in all parts of our lives. And I guess one thing that could get better is that these failures among these characters like Elon Musk and SBF and hopefully Sam Altman is that these totems get toppled at some point and there isn't such a messiah complex that's built around these people also maybe the impending recession that we're going to see will somehow break silicon valley i just think like the reliance on these people and technological decisions as opposed to allocating resources to more productive means i think that could be a positive in the long term but that's that's a shot in the dark there's no guarantee that even if the economy breaks that it will be put back together in a productive manner that's going to help society as a whole so on one hand you hope that it breaks but if history is any indicator it's probably just going to be put back together and structured for the benefit of the people on top of the economy now it, and also that's going to cause a lot of pain in the process which is not a good thing and it's not something i want to see whenever there's a, a recession inevitably it it rolls downhill and people at the bottom's lives get markedly worse than people at the top so so no i guess the answer is like i'm no i'm not feeling that optimistic technologically or otherwise yeah this is, I mean, just speaking of Christmas memories, and this is going to be a little bit of an aside, but it's related to one of these topics. I, I seem to remember like one year ago, maybe close to the day, I was down here with you and our parents and you were explaining to me about crypto and NFTs. Is that you recall this? Yeah, we had a good discussion and I'm not 100% anti-crypto, right? I think Bitcoin is an interesting, it's an interesting invention. And I think if one crypto is going to survive, obviously it's going to be Bitcoin. I have become more skeptical and it's not just because the price has gone down. My thinking has changed that more resources just need to be allocated to more human centered endeavors. I think Bitcoin will probably survive. I think the people that think it's going to zero are wrong. But I also think crypto as a whole has a lot of problems. And like SBF basically creating a, a Ponzi scheme and bilking his investors out of a ton of money and, and the Main Street people that trusted him to hold the, their coins is just like he needed to fall. And I think like hardcore Bitcoin people would, would agree with that. That would be their sentiment they would say that this guy was always a fraud. And so like a lot of crypto people can be broken up into multiple categories and like everything else, it's factional. So there are interesting things. I'm, I'm not totally anti-NFT. I get they're kind of goofy, a lot of them. It's not a productive use of assets. I think like custody of art on a blockchain is, is like an interesting idea in and of itself, but I don't know, I'm not, I'm not, married to the idea yeah i think this sort of this example illustrates the different approaches that we take to things because 
I think for last Christmas, I had not thought much about cryptocurrency. And then you raised the issue and we discussed it a little bit and I ended up buying a couple books on Bitcoin. But I mostly just, I wanted to understand the basic way in which it works is that you can sign something and then someone else can verify your signature without knowing your secret, basically. That's like the basic technology on which it works. Right. And, and so I, I just read enough to understand a little bit about the mathematics of how that worked, and then I was satisfied. that And that, that was sort of the most interesting part for me, and then I, I mostly moved on to thinking about other things. So, yeah, definitely a different perspective on, on how to look at things. Yeah, and it's, it's a good lens to view our economy through, because it, at the time, everything looks great when money is cheap. Right, and it's like, oh, this this could be an interesting idea, and people get more creative. But as rates have gone up, and the economy has come back to earth, which was probably overdue. Anyway, even before coronavirus, things were overheated. It separates what's real from what's fake, and so it was probably much needed. And it's, and I don't think it's done. So going from one optimistic topic to another, we've got a whole bunch of items here that are related to American politics. Oh yeah, it was it was a great year for American politics. Okay, so let, let's let's understand a little bit about that. What what's on your mind in terms of American politics this year and next year? The way I view American politics is people are essentially cheering for teams, and it's a red team or a blue team. That, that's what our politics have devolved into. Obviously, there are real-world ramifications to some political decisions, but most of what most important decisions are made behind the scenes, in my estimation. The best example this year is that the overturning of Roe versus Wade. This was done by a bunch of elderly, unelected people. The Supreme Court. The Supreme Court. <laughs> Just to put a name to it, because there, there are a lot of elderly, unelected people. Right. Those particular people. But they're, the people on the Supreme Court, their opinions on things are not much more relevant than other elderly, unelected people, in my view. They just hold power. And I think that's what like a lot of people miss, is like the point is the power. And so Roe versus Wade was overturned. And the narrative around this, because we live in such a horse race politics society, is that this is going to be bad for the Republicans. Oh, no, that, that they're going to lose every election from here on out. But what you have to know about American conservatives is they've been like, this has been one of their goals for 50 years since the original decision. And so if they lose one midterm election, that's fine. That's a great trade-off. For them to actually get something concrete that their base has wanted forever and they firmly believe in. So obviously the Democrats kept the Senate. They still lost the House despite this. But really, if you look at past midterm elections in the first term of a new president, Republicans should have done a lot better, especially given the state of the economy. This was probably mitigated quite a bit by the Roe versus Wade overturning. It was probably a, a factor, but there wasn't an overwhelming victory by either side. And now my prediction moving forward is that the fact 
that the Democrats perceived this as a victory and it was perceived as a defeat for the conservatives is that in 2024, the Democrats are going to stick with Joe Biden, which was like almost unthinkable when he was first elected. I don't know how old he's going to be, but he's going to be really damn old in the next election. And there's just no plan outside of just rolling Joe Biden back out there. And so this could be another enormous defeat. Presumably, the Roe versus Wade stuff is going to wear off at some point. There was some thinking that it might have worn off before the midterm elections, and that's why the Supreme Court released the decision when they did early, and they also leaked a draft to temper the excitement of everybody. Obviously, that didn't work. They lost. The Republicans did not take back the Senate. But I think this what's going to happen is the Democrats are going to stick with Biden. Ron DeSantis is going to roll through the Republican primary and that's going to happen in early 2024. So, I mean, we can maybe come back to this next year, but I think Ron DeSantis is going to roll through the Republican primary and beat Joe Biden. And then you're going to have two more Supreme Court justices on the Democratic side that are in their 70s, Sotomayor and, and Kagan. And there, there have already been articles written about how Sotomayor and Kagan should retire now and not go through what happened with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, hanging on for too long, dying when Republicans in office, and then just get replaced. It, and this is a perfectly like reasonable take from a strategy standpoint, right? Like, get out while you, your replacement can be named so that you don't backslide even further. So many Democrats have not even learned that lesson. Like, they just went through this, and they haven't learned that lesson. So the response to these articles is, let them retire on their own terms. And why aren't you celebrating these people or whatever? And it's just what, it's the same thing that happened with Ginsburg. So I expect the Democrats to make the same mistakes again. And next, we're going to have Ron DeSantis, who has the same exact politics as Trump but is probably going to be more effective and probably more palatable because he's not just a raving lunatic. So we're going to have a more effective Trump coming into office and doing more damage to the country. So just for anybody paying attention at home, you, you, you made a prediction there, which is that, although you didn't say quite as much, that Trump's going to lose in the in the primary. Yeah, I think his brand has been really tarnished, not not just among liberals. I mean, liberals hate him obviously. But I live in a red state. I talk to a lot of conservative people. Almost all of them are on the DeSantis bandwagon. And they say like, oh, we love Trump, but his time has passed. He's just like a toxic brand. So I think, yes, I think Trump is going to lose or is not going to be the nominee for a number of reasons. But I, I think primarily because it's just fatigue. And that's why I actually made this prediction after Trump lost the 2020 election. I said Ron DeSantis would be the nominee. As you can probably tell, I have relatively little to contribute here, but just going out on a limb knowing nothing about it, I'm going to make the, and also just so we have something to, to bet on, friendly bet that Trump's actually going to be the nominee from the Republicans. Sounds great. We can talk about some of the characters of the midterms 
part of the reason, and the Republicans might have actually taken the Senate if they hadn't run like some of the worst people on earth for these seats. And this is the quandary that Republicans are in. They, they have their own issues. Like I'm not saying that they're they're a, a well-oiled machine as a party because they rolled out some some real gems like Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania who literally lost to a guy that had a stroke the night of his primary victory. So the night of the Democratic primary, John Fetterman, who his politics I liked at the beginning, but he's moderated and become just a normal Democrat. He had a stroke and could not talk and even basically couldn't debate without a teleprompter. And he still won by like 10 points over Dr. Oz, who was just just a terrible candidate, like wasn't even from the state, ran these terrible ads. To Fetterman's credit, he like jumped on those ads and had a pretty good social media team. I'm not sure that that did anything, but it worked. Then you had like Herschel Walker in Georgia, who literally has brain damage. I mean, he's got CTE and a history of mental illness, and he came within like two or three points of Warnock, who's like a reasonable guy. So like, you could think like if you didn't run these just two complete just nobodies that things could have been very different and then also like blake masters in arizona that would have given if they if they republicans in arizona run anybody competent between blake masters and the QAnon mom carrie lake they they probably sweep arizona because those results were were extremely close so like the margins were very close and if the republicans just like do their homework next time and maybe run like slightly better candidates, which I think they will. Like they're the the thing about the Republicans is they learn from their mistakes. They're more dynamic than than the Democrats as far as like shifting strategy and messaging. That that's why I think that they're going to be more successful in in twenty twenty four. Oh, but then we got to talk about George Santos. I mean, I told you about this guy. He won a house seat on Long Island, and he literally made everything up about himself. He claimed to be Jewish, not Jewish, claimed to be gay, married to a woman previously. I don't know if he changed his sexual orientation. I I respect people that do that. That's fine. He claimed to be a successful businessman. The New York Times actually went and interviewed his landlord. He was like $8,000 behind on rent. He never owned any rental properties, like he said. I mean, this guy was a complete fraud, and it just sums up where American politics is. It's like America is the best place to fake it till you make it. And, like, you can do this even at the highest level of politics. This guy got elected to Congress, and there's nothing that anybody can do about it now. Like, it doesn't matter that he lied and completely fabricated everything about himself. He's representing a congressional district in a blue state. Who knows? He probably will win again. I hadn't heard anything about this story, but it does seem absurd. I'm scrolling through one of the New York Times stories now, which was published after, of course, this all came out through other people's reporting. But yeah, I I don't really know what to say. It just seems like a ridiculous story. (laughs) Well, that's the times we live in, Nick. So, but not to let our our UK half off the the hook here. They had their own political turmoil this past year. I think four prime ministers in a year. Is that correct? 
I, I remember discussing like the shortest lived yeah. or, or nearly the shortest lived. Can, can you prime pull minister. up the list of prime ministers in the UK? I, I'm gonna say it was four. So it started out as Boris Johnson. Yeah. Okay. Then it went to Liz Truss. Yeah. And is it only three Rishi Sunak? Yep, you got it. It's okay. three, three in 2022. And, and there was, it's like, he was on thin ice for a while. I think probably, you know, well, perhaps if you lived in the UK, you'd have just as long a list of uh, complaints. I don't know if, but the thing about all these people is they, like, are the people that they say they are, and they don't have brain damage, presumably. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not super deep on, on UK politics. The world over. Israel has Benjamin Netanyahu coming back into power. He was under indictment for corruption, which is why he lost power. But then they had a series of elections that resulted in no result. It's like Americans that want a parliamentary system, it's like, okay, well, look at the UK or, or Israel. Like, is this any better? I don't know. It's, it's not great. It's not a great look for democracy. We had this going at during our news season where we, we tried to like study like how best to consume the news and take in different points of view and vet the information that you're getting and then in the end we sort of just decided that maybe it's it's better to not pay attention to the news and then you know and i i understand like my conclusion might have been construed that way and then when i listened back i like definitely didn't want it to be construed that way like that was like a half-hearted joke i still think it's it's like valuable to be informed. Don't be a news junkie. That's probably not healthy. But to be like informed and like whittle down your sources to a few that you really trust that explain things in, in a way that's maybe a little entertaining or that, that you get something out of and, and keeps you informed. But just don't let it dictate your life. We talked about Elon Musk and maybe we should touch on the just the how Twitter is just gonna bring this guy down. But, like, don't spend your whole day on Twitter, like, scrolling and, and reading articles. What I was going to say is that it's a slightly different topic, but related. I mean, listening to you talk about the politics, it doesn't doesn't really make me want to pay more attention to it in, in 2023 than I did in 2022. I mean, at least it's entertaining, right? Like, following these people and you get a good laugh out of it. At least there's an entertainment aspect. Okay. I'm not it's, finding myself with a lot of extra time to, to be entertained by, by these people. Yeah, it's like a dark humor. That's the, it, fit, it fits my sense of humor. Yeah, going back to our humor season, it's a whole, whole other breed of humor. Yeah. I guess to tie it back to Elon Musk, like, this guy, he has poisoned his brain by spending too much time on Twitter and I think that's why he bought it, because any time he would post something... And, like, he was fairly harmless before. He he had just a bunch of nerds that followed him, and they would tweet b bad memes and after after he said something. And that, that's fairly harmless. But then, like, obviously there's he has his detractors on Twitter. And I, I have this theory that he bought Twitter to like silence his own personal detractors and it might erase like one of the largest fortunes ever amassed in mankind because twitter is just like it's a it's a website that'll never make a lot of money and he paid a ridiculous amount of money 
for it. And even today, Twitter was approaching, it dipped below 115, or I'm sorry, Tesla dipped below $115 a share, which is has been reported to be like margin call territory for Tesla. So like this guy cashed out a bunch of Tesla stock, allegedly a productive asset of a company that's trying to save the world, if you believe it, and pumped it into a, a useless social media site that's never going to make any money at the exact wrong time. And then also he, he borrowed a bunch of money to do this. So like if this brings him down, the fact that he just spent too much time on this dumb website and it erases like a hundred billion dollars of value, it's going to be, it's going to be incredible. I think I said before, I said this to some friends that like our society is set up for the wealthy to stay wealthy. But if there's one guy that can drop from the ranks, it's Elon Musk because of these just sort of personality flaws that he has and just how brain poisoned he is from spending too much time on the internet. It's really fascinating. I think just like totally coincidentally, I started paying a little bit more attention to Twitter than I was before. At around the same time that all this stuff was happening and I was using it and still do mostly use it to, in a way that I think a lot of other people use it, which is to get a curated feed of interesting information related to a particular topic by following a certain group of people on Twitter. And what I've noticed is that a lot of people who don't really have a dog in the fight around like who owns Twitter or what exactly the rules are, are lamenting the fact that the site might be damaged because they've come to rely on it as a way of getting information and communicating with people. And so like that, there could be a lot of collateral damage around that. And it's, it's sort of weird to think about it in these terms, but I think there might really be damage to, for example, communication among scientific communities, right? There are people who are trying to migrate to other services and it doesn't seem like it's going very well. Oh, all the other services are terrible. Like Twitter, as weird as Jack was, the original founder of Twitter, and he would spend 10 days at a time on a Buddhist monastery, not speaking and all this just weird stuff. He's a weird guy. At least he like left it alone. And he also had the sense to like understand that you need some sort of content moderation. And, and I'm like, I'm all for free speech, but there are circumstances like you understand, like you don't want Nazis on your platform or like really vile stuff being put on your platform if you're trying to attract advertisers. And one of allegedly Musk said he was buying it as like a way to legalize free speech. But then like within weeks, he brought back all these terrible people onto the website and advertisers started dropping off and he decided, oh, well now we do need content moderation. It is like the most predictable outcome. But I do agree, like, there are a lot of people that rely on the platform and it's not just like podcasts. It is more important stuff and like people getting information. Like, I don't know where I would get most of my information. I subscribe to some newsletters. But I'm not joining like Mastodon or any of these. Uh, I, 
if Twitter goes down, which I don't think it will, it'll probably just degrade over time. I don't know what I'll do. I'll just, I'll use it until it's just completely unusable. And I guess I'll go back to checking websites, which wouldn't be all bad, I guess. The interesting thing is like, I have a theory that Elon Musk is like too big to fail. Like he controls, I mean, I guess it's less now and maybe they will let him fail, but he's a like a huge military contractor through SpaceX, launching satellites, the Starlink stuff. I have a theory that he might be too big to fail. And so, I don't know, he might get backstopped at some point through this. I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch. You mentioned something that I, I found to be interesting because like, I think I only got the surface level read of the news story when it came out, which was that what I wrote down is that Biden pretended to pardon people for marijuana, which is what I, what I wrote down when you were discussing it. What was that about? Yeah, I mean, this could be rolled up into a larger disappointment in in biden and like all the promises that he has made i mean obviously making campaign promises that you're you don't intend to keep is not just related to joe biden like this has been happening from politicians for as long as there have been politicians but like we knew who joe biden was when we elected him he is one of the most conservative Democrats currently in the Democratic Party. He's been in the party forever. He's like an old school machine politician, just not not really a thinker, more of a rubber stamp guy. Came built his way up through the party, lost multiple primaries running for president previously. But there was like this optimism that was fabricated around him before the election that he could be some be the next FDR and like implement a New Deal style politics. And this included like, oh, he's going to legalize marijuana. He's going to add a public option to Obamacare. He's going to ban fracking. He's going to do all this infrastructure stuff. And like, I was pretty skeptical of it, but even smart people, and I'm not sure if this was like a manufacturing consent thing to go back to one of our Chomsky principles, or if they these smart people actually believed it. But almost none of this stuff has come true in full, or at all. Like, there has been no public option added to Ob Obamacare. And a, a, a public option would be like a Band-Aid, in my opinion, anyway. But the legalizing marijuana thing or like pardoning people what what he ended up doing like there was big flashy headlines like oh he's gonna pardon everybody but this was for federal cases only and only for possession you can drill down on the numbers and like the people that were actually pardoned was like 600 it was less than a thousand people that were actually affected by this so this is like a perfect summation of the Biden politics. You get a good flashy headline, but the substance really isn't there to help actual people. That's interesting. Sounds unfortunate. Yeah. It's what I thought was going to happen. So like, I'm not super disappointed. Obviously I would hope for a better outcome. One of the crazier stories <clears throat> 
in politics globally this year was the assassination of Shinzo Abe. Have you looked at the pictures of the Shinzo Abe assassination? I seem to recall pictures of a guy being like pulled away while he's holding a gun. Did um, you read about the gun at all or look at it? I don't, not in detail, no. He, it looks like something out of a bad video game. And so he, this guy built this gun because guns are hard to get in Japan. And like, that's interesting in its own right. Like he, this guy built his own weird little shotgun that looked like a science experiment. <clears throat> And, but the more interesting aspect is that, and, and you don't see a whole lot of political assassinations these days, like at least, especially in like what you would call developed countries or first world countries. But this political assassination actually had its intended effect for the assassin. So the assassin, his mother was scammed by the Unification Church, better known as the Moonies in the U.S., which is a Korean church. And so it's like any of these other weird cults where the members are asked to give a, a lot of money to the leader. And this guy was really pissed at Abe because he was very close with the Unification Church, which is extremely small in Japan, but influential. There's a lot of good reading you can do on this. And the Moonies are an interesting organization. There's plenty of clips from Reverend Moon back in the 80s holding big rallies in America. And George H.W. Bush was a big fan of the Moonies. He's on record. Trump is a big Mooney guy. So this guy was pissed at Abe because his mom gave like $500,000 and this was not a wealthy lady. She gave like $500,000 to them to the Unification Church. He decide so he and you got to have a lot of will to like in the US like killing somebody is probably pretty easy. You can get a gun anywhere and you could shoot somebody. In Japan, you got to like really want it, right? So this guy built his own gun shot Abe, killed him, like, it, and it's a miracle because this thing was not, like, did not have a long range on it. And then the political backlash was against Abe's party. It was out of power, but his party lost power and they implemented reforms going after the Unification Church. So, like, this guy got everything he wanted, which is crazy for a political assassination if you think about it. So that like that was a very fascinating story. So what what about the assassination would have turned things against the Abe's party? I think it just brought things to light like that I think a lot of people were probably in a similar situation or like thought it was a bad situation to like be in bed with the Moonies, but maybe they weren't wouldn't speak out against them or whatever. So, I mean, I'm not an expert on Japanese politics. I've just read a couple articles about it and listened to some stuff about it. So I just thought it was very fascinating to like actually have an assassin get what they wanted out of an assassination. Right. So. And I, I haven't studied a lot of assassinations, but maybe it's also not clear sometimes, not as clear what right. the motivation was. Yeah, like a lot of them, and man, I mean, you're going to send me down the parapolitical path 
here. Well, we do have a number of recommendations. Yeah, um, yeah, we can get to that later. The, the other big news events, I mean, the World Cup. The thing is, like, I'm not a huge soccer fan. I don't, I'm not one of these Americans that, like, pretends to be a Liverpool fan or whatever. Like, they're, they're, Ameri- this is, I, I will probably have common cause with our UK friends in the fact that they, like, probably laugh at Americans that cheer for EPL teams or something. But I really like, I like watching the World Cup. It's like the spectacle of, of everything. But this World Cup, and I watched it, I wasn't going to boycott it or anything. But, I mean, it was built on the back of just massive amounts of slave labor. And lots of people died building the stadiums. The government is terribly repressive the Qataris their soccer team even had no business being there they were awful but the soccer was good or the football whatever you want to call it it's an interesting quandary especially I think for people who are big fans of the the World Cup but also like socially conscious because at surface level like the World Cup is especially when things go well it's a chance for like the whole world to come together and experience one thing at the same time and have a bunch of nations in hopefully friendly competition but yeah i mean on the backdrop of of something like that i think it it divides people but for the most part i think people who are concerned about the kinds of things you're concerned about unfortunately perhaps are are in the minority right and most people are just in it to enjoy the the game yeah this i guess the comparison is like you can enjoy the art but not think the artist is a good person yeah we discussed we discussed that previously um, yeah with with respect to some comedians for example right yeah like a a perfect example is like the brazilians our aunt is brazilian so i have a soft spot and and it's they're a fun team to watch they're pushing the pace they're trying to score goals they're not parking the bus as to use some soccer parlance but like all of the brazilian players or lots of them were bolsonaro fans this horrible right-wing authoritarian in Brazil that's burning down the rainforest. And one of the best, in my estimation, like political moments in the last year was Lula da Silva defeating Bolsonaro. It was like a ray of hope for politics globally. But I cheered for the Brazilians, even though they're all Bolsonaristas or whatever they want to call themselves, just because they're fun. You separate the art from the artist. We've talked a lot about the world stage here in politics and sports and technology and I was just thinking like what reflections if any I might have and I guess what one thing that sticks out is like of course like the starting this podcast which has been fun there's not only a chance to get to talk to one of my friends regularly that I hadn't been talking to all that much but also get other people involved we had Dr. Jane Potter on the podcast we've had my brother on the podcast several times and a couple other of my friends and so i think like outside my professional life this is a nice part of this year for me and something i'm predicting that i will enjoy in 2023 as well is there anything like uh, that you've thought about ned that's sort of like closer to home from yeah. this year seeing you enjoy the podcast and getting to do it and like undertaking a creative pursuit is very admirable and i'm like super jealous that you've got such a great co-host to do this with because like 
I've been thinking about doing a podcast for years, but I just don't have that person that I can bounce stuff off of and potentially do it with that has similar interests and a, a similar way of looking at things. Um, Maybe you should find somebody with a really different way of looking at things. That's possible. I mean, that's that's a possibility. I would like a creative pursuit. If we're talking about like what we want to accomplish in the new year, a, a creative pursuit like like doing a podcast, even if nobody was going to listen to it. It's just another way to exercise your brain and express yourself. Artistically, I'm not very proficient in any way. I have bad handwriting, let alone like visual art. I can't play any instruments. And so like, what do you do if you have no talent? Maybe <laughs> maybe start a podcast? I don't know. Well, they do let anybody start a podcast. Right. So we learned that. Right. And so like I've started writing one of my episodes. So I think like you've inspired me to like actually do something. Okay, well in that case I I have more advice along these lines. Like okay. the first thing is to to really lower the bar and really embrace and enjoy the fact that there's no rules and very low stakes. That's that's sort of what has allowed us to get off the ground and I think it, <clears throat> similar to what we discussed in the humor season, almost anything just takes a lot of time to get to get good at it and in order to spend a lot of time doing something you have to start it and so our plan is that our podcast can be really great maybe like 10 years from now after we've been been doing it for a long time so yeah i'm all for it and i would say just like don't let anything get in the way i'm yeah this is sort of like another type of new year's resolution i like the idea of really sticking to making time for for things because it's very easy to just let all the time fill up and not make time for certain things, but I've recently started making more time to to go to the gym on a regular basis, start playing sports again, and also I've, we've been pretty good about sticking to a schedule for this podcast. And so my goal gradually is just to make more and more time for those things that I don't really need to do, but I want to do, and keep finding time for those things. That's great advice. Cool. Well, yeah. Should we talk a little bit about some of the things we've enjoyed reading and listening to and that we might like to recommend? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. I can do this this first one. So I was mentioning to you earlier that I buy a lot of books. My threshold for buying books is very low. I buy more books than I can possibly read. I do the same thing. And... Yeah, I think it's fairly common. And in reviewing the books that I bought this year and also trying to think about <clears throat> another good barometer is which books I would choose to re-gift. One book really sticks out, and that's a book called Bernoulli's Fallacy by a fellow named Aubrey Clayton. And for professional reasons, I started studying a lot of statistics and became interested in questions of Bayesian statistics and causal inference and ran into Aubrey Clayton's lectures on YouTube and found out that he was writing a book which hadn't come out at the time that I learned about it but as soon as it came out I, I bought it and it describes a pretty remarkable set of historical coincidences which has resulted in statistics being done really in, in ways that are just plain wrong almost across the board and that he draws out instances where these the ways in which statistics is done incorrectly has very important consequences and so I, I'd recommend that book to anybody who's who's interested in 
either like the history and social aspects of science and statistics or is interested in statistics itself because I think it's a very convincing and entertaining argument as to why basically anytime anybody quotes a p-value you should you should stop listening or at least look at it for an alternate way of, of analyzing the data. I think that's I will take your recommendation on that one that sounds fascinating I'm not a math or science guy by trade but it is something that I think is very valuable to at least have that knowledge of. So sold what's the next one? Okay, so next on my list is another big happening in my personal life this year is that we I ended up co-founding a company and I had worked in academia for a long time and then was in industry working as a, an individual contributor and a manager and had gained experiences along the way that I think were relevant to, to starting this company, certainly, but there's a lot of new stuff in there also. And there was a book that had been on my shelf for a long time, and it became very relevant after we, we started working on this company. And it's a book called The Founder's Dilemmas. And it basically just takes you through a pre-mortem of all of the things that could go wrong among founders specifically, groups of founders that, that found a company together. And so I went through that with my co-founders, and I think we all just agreed that it was a great set of lessons to have learned without having to learn them the hard way, so to speak. And so we went through that together and I, I really enjoyed that. So I can I can recommend uh, The Founder's Dilemmas by Noah Wasserman for anybody who's starting a company or might be interested in starting a company. Yeah, I'm not sure that I'll ever start a company. I've, I've got business ideas. Maybe I'll give it a shot. It's probably not in my wheelhouse, but if my bar is low enough, I might buy it and let it sit on my shelf. It's for application in specific circumstances. Sure. Okay. Well, I'll throw in one of mine here, podcast recommendation, other than The Wild Truth Chase, of course. And my, I've, I've been kicking around some names for my podcast. The, And you like alluded to the name potentially and giving me some advice. So I'm not going to spoil it, but maybe, maybe, hopefully that happens. But one of the most excellent podcasts, and it's in it's in season form, and it's not it doesn't deal with current events. is it, It's a history podcast called Blowback, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that have listened to Blowback. The current season is on the Korean War. They've done past seasons on Cuba, which as Americans and people in the West have a warped sense of of the Cuban Revolution and what happens actually on the island. So, and then their first season is about the Iraq War, which is maybe my favorite podcast that I've ever listened to. This is something that's happened in our lifetimes. It's extremely relevant still to this day, the the U.S. invasion of Iraq, the multiple invasions of Iraq. And they just announced that there will be a fourth season, and it's going to be about Afghanistan, just based on what the teaser was just released so I, I like I can't recommend that podcast enough. I think the first two seasons are not behind a paywall, and maybe even the third one is out from behind the paywall currently. So check out check out Blowback. Okay, I'm adding it to my uh, my list here. Okay, do you want to go to the next one there? Yeah, sure. So I've got one more book recommendation, and then uh, then a whole bunch of podcasts, and I'll maybe just name in quick succession. So something we were discussing just yesterday reminded me of another book, which is related to the statistics book, but is sort of more practically oriented. 
And I think it came to mind when I asked you to put a probability on a certain event. And I think that if you're asked to name a probability of a certain event and there are sort of there's nothing tied to it, then you're bound to be more lackadaisical in your estimation, not you in particular, Ned, but people in general. And this book is called Thinking in Bets by someone named Annie Duke, who's a professional poker player. And it, it basically it says that if you assign a probability, there's, there's a corresponding bet that it implies that you're willing to make. And I think that if more people made that type of association more often, they might be more careful in how they try to, to calculate the probabilities that they assign to certain events. I think this is very important. In my personal life, with my friends, I know which ones think probabilistically and which ones don't. And I really, I really think it's important to think in that way. So I, I think that's a that, that's a good recommendation. I'll have to look at that one too. I'll I'll just sprinkle in some of mine. So I, I gave you three books for Christmas. So you, you can add them to the stack of the books that you're you're never going to read. But they're three, I would call it like the parapolitical starter pack. And I probably should have added a fourth, but I think that would have been like over 2,000 pages worth of book. So I narrowed it down to three. The first one is called The Franklin Scandal by Nick Bryant. This is a case that is like a proto-Epstein case. And it happened in Omaha, Nebraska. So like this is obviously very, it was very interesting to me. Like I know a lot of the locations that they talk about in the book and and the story is just horrific. And it, and it really brings to light like a lot of the problems that we have, not only like interpersonally but like as a political system not believing victims of abuse cover-ups and and it's really well researched like there's a lot of like i i recommended a book to you about conspiracy theory which i think you read some of it at least but there's a lot there's a lot of bad conspiracy theory stuff out there but i i've got a pretty good bs meter and like the Franklin scandal is well-researched. It's something that I don't know if you're interested in the topic, but at least you're interested in the, you'd be interested in the setting because it happens in your hometown. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, so I, I think, are we going to return to your other recommendations later? Yeah. We'll just like switch off. How about? Okay. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, this, these podcasts, I think this isn't sort of like a, my attempt at a, a universal recommendation, but just me just naming some things that I enjoyed over the last year. So one that I, I listened to very recently, and it did come off of a, a list of very popular podcasts, so probably anybody who's looking for podcasts may have seen this recommendation, but it was a podcast called The Prince by a reporter working for The Economist about Xi Jinping and his influence on China and the rest of the world. I listened to that on the, the drive up, and I think for anybody who's interested in China and uh, its current leader, it's probably worth a listen. Yeah. Another another political subject that was reelected this year, depending on what what your definition of reelected is. Yeah, that's right. So good for Xi. I'm good to see him pull another one out at, at the Communist Party <laughs> Congress. There, my my next one is maybe one of the best parapolitical books ever written. It's Dark Alliance by Gary Webb. This guy, Gary Webb, 
was a reporter for the San Jose Mercury News, and he basically single-handedly undercovered the fact that the CIA was importing or allowing massive amounts of cocaine to be imported into the U.S. to benefit the Contras in Nicaragua. So this is like the start of Iran-Contra. And it's well-written, well-researched. He brings all of the people like to life. It's just really well-written. You can tell he's like, like a lifetime newspaper man. Also, like his death is under mysterious circumstances so there's also that like the the author of it but it's just a fantastic book and it really helps you understand like the fact that the line between crime and intelligence is is extremely blurry if it's even there at all so dark alliance by gary webb that's your the second book i gave you okay and i don't need to add my these to my list because i already have hard copies from you right so maybe i'll just do two here i mean i think these maybe these two or three they're they're all in the the category of interesting contained stories so there's one called persona the french deception another called the missing crypto queen and then one which is not new but i just listened to this you were called the dropout and these all cover the stories of people undergoing various interesting happenings and Probably, if you're not looking for something that's like an ongoing series, but is like something that you could listen to in a, in a week or two of workout sessions, then I can recommend any of those. And probably, probably the persona, the French deception, was the the most interesting and best done in my estimation. The dropout is, of course, very important for anybody who's interested in in biotech to listen to. And the missing crypto queen, well, we already touched on crypto, and there's a whole bunch of weird stories around people in crypto, and that was another example, that one from the, the BBC. The missing crypto queen was, what's the name of her coin? Was it OneCoin? And she was somebody who heavily promoted this this cryptocurrency, which actually turns out was had no blockchain attached to it. And they were basically just manipulating the price and getting people to buy into this essentially like completely fraudulent cryptocurrency. And then she disappeared completely and hasn't been hasn't been found. And so the story is these BBC reporters trying to find the person who is promoting the the this A fake, up scam, fake cryptocurrency yeah. and then and then disappeared. It's scam. That's the one about Quadriga, which is interesting. It's done by Aaron Lammer, who is a good He's like a crypto native. The The thing I... Like, it's fine to be skeptical of crypto, right? But all of the best crypto content comes from, like, crypto native people. Like, people that actually have traded, that have gone through this stuff. And maybe even still believe in it. And Aaron Lammer is definitely one of those people. You hosted a... a podcast about crypto for a long time like a separate one so it, it it's good my last recommendation is family of secrets by russ baker this just lays out like the most under the radar aspects of the bush family so a lot of people don't know that george hw bush along with richard nixon they they were in dallas when kennedy was shot it's he russ baker lays out pretty compelling evidence that Bush was part of the CIA at that point. Obviously, everybody knows Bush later became the head of the CIA, and he was thought to 
have been an outsider brought in to like reorganize the agency and get their mission back on on task after some some bad scandals. It's perfectly laid out in Family of Secrets that that wasn't the case and that the Bush family has they were much more corrupt than just invade Iraq for oil. So it lays out like their family history going back to Prescott Bush, George W or George HW's dad and goes from there. This is a an expansive history of not only this family but it centers around the Bush family. So it, it's an important piece of the American American history. Okay, well, well, switching gears completely, I, I have one more recommendation. This is a podcast called Learning Bayesian Statistics, and it's really a, a pretty highly technical podcast. It's, it's hosted by a guy who works for a niche Bayesian statistics consultancy, and he has on people who are really focused on very specific aspects of, of doing Bayesian statistics. I really enjoyed it because it was a way to sort of supplement my reading as, as I was learning about it and just in love hearing nerding about nerding out about extremely technical topics and that's been a, a nice resource for me. So I'll put that one in the maybe category. Yeah, I again like I Take these recommendations if you have a particular need for uh, learning about these topics. <laughs> it's not, not, not for everybody. Is there anything else on your mind? Did we get all your predictions in? We gotta get them on tape now if, if we wanna review them next year. When we're thinking probabilistically, it sounded like I'm 100% positive in these, but obviously thinking probabilistically, I, they're, they're not all gonna happen. And I understand that. So we'll, we'll say I took some artistic license. Okay. In. I won't, I won't make you bet on it. Okay. Well, I mean, we already bet on one. So the Trump outcome. Yeah. But we, we didn't say what's on the line. Okay. We'll put something on the line. What do you want to bet? Let's see. How about three podcast appearances? Okay. So how does that work? If, if I win, then what? If then, I don't know, you can either not have me on your podcast or you don't have to come on my podcast. But if you lose, you have to come on my podcast three times. Okay. Yeah. I mean, just after having gone through this conversation, I think that I'm going to need a lot more prep before I make any appearances. But Yeah. The, the, the nice thing is, like, this bet will settle, like, far in the future. And so you'll probably come on my podcast before then. Excellent. If it happens, which I'm, I'm going to follow through, right? It's a deal. Well, thanks for joining me for this episode. Yeah. Ending 2022 of Wild Truth Today's podcast and hope to have you on. Maybe we can even get you on with Neeraj and Tejas at some point. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I love you, buddy. Yeah. Love you too, Ned. Take care, everybody.